This week on Myths and Legends, there are three stories from Japanese folklore about characters who didn't see something coming. We'll learn about jamming chopsticks up your neighbor's nose for fun and profit, mostly fun, and see how that big promotion could turn deadly. The creature this week is a lake that drinks you. This is Myths and Legends, episode 342, Lord Longlegs. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today, there are three stories from Japanese folklore about not thinking that you're so smart, strong, or powerful that you can never be touched. I weave them together so that they all take place in the same story. It's like a five short Grables or 22 short films about Springfield sort of episode. We'll jump in in the court of Lord Longlegs, a powerful spider lord, and the bumblebee that's about to get some big news. Bumblebee's son's wife fluttered over to him. She was so glad he was home. She had big news. They came by today. Mr. Bumblebee gasped. What? No. Mrs. Bumblebee smiled as the bee children, according to the story, sucked their father's bee feet to get the honey that stuck to them. The underlings of Sir Locust stopped by while Mr. Bumblebee was on the line collecting pollen. He had been chosen. He would leave tomorrow morning with the daimyo. Lord Longlegs. Mr. Bumblebee buzzed to meet his wife, the children fluttering after him to try to get that sweet, sweet foot honey. Lord Longlegs made the procession to Edo each year to pay his respects to the great tycoon and spend several weeks in the metropolis. He had been preparing for a week, but the honeybee dropped out at the last moment. He stung the cat. Everyone in the world of insects were ranked. The nobles, mantis, beetle, and pinching bug, administered Lord Longlegs' estate and defended him. Locust, at 17, was the oldest and most experienced and watched the workers. The bees made honey, the worms made silk, the wasps made paper, and everyone answered to the spider at the top. The daimyo, the lord, Lord Longlegs. Mr. Bumblebee stayed up the rest of the night, preparing for the journey of the day ahead. Man, I am like so jealous of that, the Thai fish said to the Sazaye, the shellfish. The shellfish smiled. It was nice. While he wanted to play or explore or eat, he could just bounce around. But the moment he sensed danger, he could just pop back inside his castle and it was like an impenetrable iron shield. Oh, okay, I mean, I'm a fish and I have no frame of reference for any of those things. But yeah, that's kind of what I'm talking about, the Thai said. Like, take me, for example. I can never rest. Ever. I do. I get eaten by a bigger fish. Oh, I try to take my fish girlfriend out for a fish meal and I have to check for strings. It is horrible. But you? You just pop back in that little fortress of yours and nothing can touch you. This is nothing more than a shell, my friend, the shellfish said. I will say, though, that when I lock my door, I feel no anxiety. I do pity you all with your soft bodies and constant swimming. 
I'm probably the only thing out here that can get a full night's sleep. This continued for a solid five minutes, with the shellfish pretending to be modest, while completely undercutting his own words by bragging about how awesome his shell was. He was so absorbed in talking about his shell that he didn't notice his audience leave. This happened a lot. It was kind of why he didn't have a lot of friends and why shellfish, plural, didn't hang out. They were always proud of their shells and jealous of their neighbors, sometimes both at the same time. Still, the shellfish enjoyed talking about his shell even when no one else was around. So he kept at it. Around minute 10, though, he noticed the shadows. It was a fish, a big fish. Without a moment's hesitation, the shellfish tucked his whole body inside his shell and brought down the doors. He was safe, and he was also rising. He felt the slight pressure against the floor of his shell. He was being pulled from the water. It was okay. It was good. As long as he was in his shell, he was safe. Fleeson, who sat atop the great cat, was the alarm clock. I don't know if this is true of most cats, but Pizza wakes us up every day at about 5.30 a.m. unless we shut him out of the room. He and the dog, they keep us on track, even if it is extremely annoying on the weekends. Fleeson, or Mr. Flea, was the same way. They knew what time it was because the cat's eyes opened every morning at 6 a.m. Today was the day of the long procession to Edo. Lord Longlegs wasn't the only daimyo, the only lord. And currently, he was not the most powerful. In fact, he still had to show respect to the tycoon, an older spider. Lord Longlegs sat in his palaquin. Mantis went first, crying out to any insects that they passed to get down on their knees. But not just insects. Lizards, toads, slugs bent their knees if they had them, putting their noses in the dust in honor of Lord Longlegs. The beetles walked ahead of the palaquin, holding up glowworms as lanterns, until the sun was high enough in the sky for the glowworms to scurry from their hands to the back of the procession. The palaquin was made of woven, striped grass and bamboo threads, lacquered and finished with curtains, curtains made from the wings of the insects that had disobeyed or merely displeased Lord Longlegs. It's like the Iron Throne if the Iron Throne was made of body parts. They made it to the foot of the mountain by noon, and the messenger butterflies flapped ahead to find lodging for the night. Mr. Bumblebee was toward the back. He didn't see the commotion, but he felt the procession stop. Someone was blocking the road. He peeped out, past old Locust, and saw the father horsefly speaking with the praying mantis. The horsefly was holding his son, who had no doubt crawled onto the road. He was bowing low. He was begging the daimyo for forgiveness. The daimyo, Lord Longlegs, wouldn't speak to the horsefly, only his mantis retainer, wondering why they had stopped for so long. The mantis understood, and with a swipe, the horsefly's green and yellow blood sprayed on the road. The crowd on either side gasped, screamed, and bowed, and the mother rushed out to grab the child out of her late husband's arms. The procession continued on, and Mr. Bumblebee had to will himself to walk over the corpse of the offending fly. 
Mr. Kichibe returned with his catch. It was a good one. He was an eel griller in Edo, the capital. He returned each morning with his catches from the cages in the shallow, muddy waters and fried them up just in time for lunch. It was an honest, if slimy, living. Hey, do you mind running to the store and picking us up some more seafood? Maybe a few clams, prawns, lobster, if it's cheap? Mr. Kichibe asked his wife. He would get fried. She had finished putting the house in order, and this was what she did. She went to the market and chose the best of what they could get. Her husband didn't always appreciate her eye, not like the merchants who knew she was shrewd and couldn't be tricked. She was the reason their eel grilling business was so successful. At the market, the fishmonger asked the eel griller if she would shoo that dog away. He's been at the table all morning. First it was sniffing, and before he knew it, the dog would make off with a lobster. The eel griller stomped her foot and clapped at the dog, and after a short growl, he was gone. Good. The orb was gone. The the orb? The prawn next to the shellfish, the clam, said. The shellfish said, yeah, the orb, the big, black, windy thing. It's a dog. It's a dog's nose the prawn side. Some crustaceans. The Sazaye said that while the story is unclear on exactly what type of shellfish it was, it seems the best fit to be like a mollusk, a clam. Also, it just came here from the ocean, so sorry, it wasn't up on whatever these were called. Oh wow, you came from the ocean? That's amazing, only, I don't know, let's think about this, everyone did, all of us here, the prawn said. Ignore him. The Sazaye heard. The Sazaye shuffled to turn around. Hey! A mollusk! There, next to him in the shallow water of the tank, were dozens of mussels, clams, and other shellfish. He's just bitter because he's gonna die, the fellow Sazaye said. Not us, though. Right, right, yeah. Oh, nice shell, by the way. I love having a shell, the Sazaye breathed. You can never be hurt, the friend agreed. No matter what, they could always retreat. Wait, you guys have shells? They heard from the prawn. Oh, you only talk about them all the time. The Sazaye looked up to the large, shadowy... What were those, like, big, hairless monkey things? We think they're humans? The fellow muscle said to the Sazaye. Oh, incoming. The Sazaye ducked inside his shell, where he was and would always be safe. We'll get back to our stories, but that will be right after this. The wife came home to the smell of eels grilling. Her husband had laid out an early lunch for her upon her return. She handed off the bag, but found him there with a finger in front of his lips. What? What was this? He should be grilling in time for the lunch rush. He pointed to the wall. To the hole. Wait, had that hole always been there? 
It was dark, then light, dark, then light. The husband eel griller patted over and shook his head. Oh, no. Chopstick in hand, he poked it somewhat gently through the hole. Ow! He heard from the other side of the wall. When the neighbor was away from the wall, the eel griller husband peeked through the hole and confirmed his suspicions. He stood up straight, indignant, and rushed to the door. The wife demanded to know what was going on. He, the neighbor, was stealing. The wife looked back and forth. How? How could he get anything of value through the wall? The husband said she didn't understand. He was stealing smells. Why'd you jab chopsticks up my nose? The neighbor demanded. Why are you stealing smells from my house? The eel griller accused. The wife heard all about it a few minutes later. She stayed inside to flip the eels so they didn't burn, and they could actually make a little money that day. But yeah, the husband filled her in. The neighbor would eat his own breakfast at the same time every day, the time that the eel griller, well, grilled eels. He had found one morning by accident that eating his rice while smelling the grilling seafood was kind of like eating seafood. It helped flavor the seafood a little bit. The wife chuckled. What, is this funny to you? The husband demanded. The wife said, kind of, like not stand-up material funny, but everyday life funny. He's stealing from us. He's stealing smells. The husband slammed a fist down on the table. You can't, though? It's just a smell? Every smell is a sale. The husband shook his head. He wouldn't let this injustice stand. He stormed off toward the back of the house. So, okay, then I'll just do both our work this morning? Cool, she said, and opened up the bag. My lord, we're almost there. A mantis samurai knelt before Lord Longlegs. They had been traveling for days, but now they were almost to the capital. There, there was a problem. A city of oni, of demons. It stood in their way. One hit from these giants could crush any one of them. Their best warriors wouldn't stand a chance. Lord Longlegs crossed his legs and then crossed them again. And then again, he had a lot of legs. He said they had planned for this, had they not? Bumblebee-san and the honeybee workers that had been pulled from the hive found themselves standing before the daimyo and his palanquin. This was the final leg of their journey. One of the mantis samurai informed the bees. This was the city of demons, and they were expected to drive off the oni. Many of them would die, but the ones who survived would be honored with a position in the court of Lord Longlegs. Lord Longlegs stood from his seat and addressed the bees directly. The ones who died could die knowing that they did so for their lord, and that the world would be a better place because of their actions. Bumblebee's son was scared. He was scared, but he knew now that this was why he had been honored with this journey, this responsibility. He would do what he must to protect his lord and his family. The giants, the oni, 
for all their bluster, for all their swipes, were cowards. But Bumblebee-san was astonished. He had never seen anything in his whole life so big, so grotesque. The palanquin was on the move as soon as the bees launched the attack. If they could scare the Oni off, it would give Lord Longlegs, his samurai, and the rest of the retinue time to get through the canyon and make it to the capital. It worked. The giants broke and ran, well, all but one. It was smaller than the rest, but it would still crush Lord Longlegs and his samurai in one punch. As Bumblebee's son ducked around the swatting giants and saw his friends being crushed all around him, he thought of his children, of his bee wife. He hoped that they would remember him. He hoped that they knew how much he cared for them, that in his final moments, he would be thinking of them. He aimed his stinger. This was a good death. The Oni cried out. Its attack stopped. Bumblebee-san, in his final moments, saw Lord Longlegs nod in approval as he passed through the canyon and made his way into the capital. The Sazaya plopped down in the water, and when it felt like things were still, it dared to peek its shell open. It was surrounded by its own kind, by other shellfish. Wow, nice shell, he heard. He looked around. Oh, it was the old shellfish from the area before. Hi, nice shell to you too. Oh, thank you, all that. They talked about uh, shell stuff, I mean, stuff that shellfish talk about, and hearing their voices, others opened their shells. It turned out to be a really fun time. They all had stories from their homes in the ocean, all talked about how great their shells were and how safe they felt, and all complimented each other's shell in a way that read as somewhat more of an insult. Like when someone says, oh, that's so nice for you, I, I could never do that, or wow, I'm so glad you're happy with that level of shell. Someday you'll move up. Still, all in all, good get-together. After a little while, though, the shellfish toward the center of the room started to get a little bit sleepy. Then, quiet. Very quiet. Sazaye looked to the older shellfish, and they both understood. They didn't know what was happening, but they had managed to stay alive so long by following one simple rule. When in doubt, retreat into your shell. Then, it didn't matter what was going on in the outside world. There, you were safe. There, nothing could hurt you. Sazaye's shell closed, and he sighed. Good, it was good. He would be fine. What happened? The neighbor to the eel griller called out to his wife as she brought the screaming toddler inside. I don't know, she was playing in the alleyway with some kids, and the next moment she's crying, the wife said. Then she looked at the man. Why was his nose bleeding? The eel griller jammed chopsticks up them. I told you he was gonna find that hole, the wife said. Just buy some eel, we can afford it, or I'll cook it. It's not the eel, it's the principal, the husband said. 
If I can enjoy my rice while smelling eel and think it's eel, then it's like I'm getting an eel breakfast for free every morning. I knew it! They heard from the hole in the wall. There was a stomping, sliding, and then a paper drifted under the door. The husband bent down and picked it up. What in the... What is it? The wife said. Their daughter had stopped crying and wanted to go back outside. The mother opened the door and then asked what was on the paper. He said it was a bill. A bill for what? A bill for smells, the husband shook his head. I'm not paying this. There was more stomping, sliding, and the eel griller slid the neighbor's door open. You have to. Or or what? Or you'll have your nose cut off for theft, the eel griller said. Yes, he had friends in high places. Magistrates, samurai, they stopped by his stand every day. They would rule his way, so the neighbor needed to pay up. The neighbor and the wife were stunned, and the eel griller smiled. He could see that he had them. By lunch, or I'll have my friends come over. They'll start with whipping, the eel griller laughed. We'll see Lord Longlegs is meeting with his superior, how the neighbor pays his bill, and what happens to the shellfish. But that will be right after this. They made it. Lord Longlegs commanded his retinue to stay back, and they obeyed. Only his personal guard would go to the meeting. Lord Longlegs stood among the other daimyo. They were all in attendance to the tycoon, the one that controlled more territory than all of them put together. Eventually, the elderly spider, the tycoon, walked to his chair. Seated above everyone else, the audience bowed. Everyone, that is, except Lord Longlegs. In a sea of bowing spiders, crickets, frogs, flies, mantises, and more, he and his guard, stood. Lord Longlegs. The tycoon addressed his underling. Lord Longlegs began to ascend the stairs. Guards, the tycoon yelled. But his own guards didn't move. All those flies Lord Longlegs sent to the capital over the long months preceding this meeting had paid off. Hold, the head mantis said to his guards. Lord Longlegs nodded but realized he would need to purge them in the coming days. Someone who would turn against their lord so easily could never be trusted. You're probably thinking, what of my son? Lord Longlegs smiled. The young spider that the tycoon had been preparing to take his place was the easiest to catch. He was wrapped in a web somewhere in the capital, slowly wasting away. The tycoon, the powerful daimyo, Wouldn't have long to mourn him, though. The mantis stepped forward, drawing his weapon. Lord Longlegs held up a leg. No. Nearly 360 degrees of vision and you still couldn't see this coming. The shogunate deserves better, Lord Longlegs said, and lunged. Now, I really wanted him to have a cool sword execution, but spiders just subdue and eat their prey. 
And in this story about insects pretending to be a feudal Japanese kingdom, we are all about fidelity. Also, it sends even more of a message if Lord Longlegs overpowers and consumes the previous ruler on his own throne. Brushing aside what remained of the tycoon, Lord Longlegs took his seat on the throne. The rest of the audience continued bowing. The Sazaye cowered in the corner of a shell. No, his shell, his fortress, his home was heating up. It almost hurt to touch the walls. There was no place to go. He had retreated too far. All he wanted was to be safe. And he thought that meant shutting the world out, closing these walls and denying anything beyond them only sticking to what he thought concerned him. He had been wrong. The tie, the fish he had spoken to before all of this, it could remain nimble. It could move and evade and change. The Sazaye could only sit and wait. By closing off the world, he only ensured that here, at the end, he would die alone. His fortress, the safe place he had built for himself, it would be his tomb. The eel griller woman shook her head. This was so ridiculous. She stood at the back of the kitchen, shucking clams, jamming a knife into the crevices and popping them open, scraping out the meat inside. It was nearly the lunch rush. She was about to toss the meat on the grill. The eel griller man was pacing and grinning. He had the neighbor. It was quite literally a your money or your life situation. But most of all, best of all, he won. The first clients began filtering in and took a seat. The eel griller bowed and greeted them before starting in on some light conversation. He steered the talk toward the subject of his neighbor. He steered it to the talk toward his neighbor, who owed him a debt, and the samurai rested his hand on his sword. Whatever the eel griller needed, he was happy to help. More customers found their way in, until the guests the eel griller had been expecting slid the door open and shuffled inside. He said he received the eel griller's bill. The bill for your theft the eel griller sneered. The neighbor nodded. The eel griller was right. He should pay for what he took. The neighbor rummaged through his bag and brought out a massive bag of coins. He walked over to an empty spot on the counter and emptied the bag. He said this was all he had in his iron lockbox. The oval gold coins, the square silver pieces, and more all rang out on the countertop. Well, Let's hope it's enough, the eel griller said. As the last few coins jingled on the counter, the eel griller stepped forward to count the money. But at that moment, the neighbor reached forward and began scooping the money back in the bag. What are you doing? The eel griller demanded. Well, we're square now, the neighbor said, all his money back in his pouch. So you're not going to pay me then? The eel griller looked with panic down the bar. 
The samurai who came in first stood. No, whoa, whoa, I'm paid up, the neighbor said. You charged me for the smell of your eels, and I paid you with the sound of my money, he said. The samurai, hand on his sword, broke out laughing that. I mean, that was good. That was some clever stuff. He sat down to his eels. What what are you doing? The eel griller said as the neighbor left with his bag of cash. What am I doing? What are you doing? Charging for smells. Come on, you gonna charge me for smells? I told you you should have just let it go, the eel grilling woman said as she filled the plate of another customer. She had to take out the trash. Grass swayed in the lot behind the eel grillers and the neighbors. For all the animosity of the husbands, the families did get along. The daughter of the neighbors played back there. The eel griller woman passed her on her way out, on her way to the refuse piles. A clay kiln stood in the distance, and the eel griller woman poured out the shells to make lime later. She swatted the flies. She hated being out here. There were so many insects. And she was right. Insects and also arachnids. One, in particular, sat above all else. Lord Longlegs was now second only to the shogun. Maybe he would make a play for that next. Then, it will be the emperor, a figurehead. True power commanded the hands that held the swords. And that would be Lord Longlegs, the daimyo. Kneel, he commanded. And unlike for the previous spider, Every insect in attendance did. His power was complete. Villages, whole cities would live and die at a word from him. He was all-powerful. And he was in shadow. The Oni, the demon from before, had returned. What is she doing? The neighbor said when he returned from the eel griller's shop. The mother was standing at the window. She didn't know. Outside, at the edge of the yard near the refuse heap, their toddler had a calabash she pulled from the garden. She was furiously smashing something on the ground. I'll go take a look, the husband said, and walked out in the yard. He inspected what his daughter was pounding, shrugged, and walked back. What was it? What was she doing? The mother asked. The husband laughed. Oh, it was just like a bunch of bugs. She killed some big spider. I think she was mad about that bee that stung her earlier. I figure I'd let her do it. The gourd's halfway to being rotten, and there are way too many bugs out there anyway. Today's story was an adaptation and a combination of Lord Longlegs, Smells and Jingles, and the Saze and the Tie. Full disclosure, they are not combined in the originals, but I thought that was a fun way to present it. Additionally, Lord Longlegs is just a straight description of Lord Longlegs' procession to the capital. He does not get crushed in the end or usurp a more powerful daimyo. I had always envisioned telling the tale with him being smushed by like a human baby after climbing to the top of power so that part was my addition. 
To me, these are all tales of overconfidence and consequences. The Sazier was secure in his own walls, not realizing that his place of safety could also be his grave. The eel griller was confident in his intelligence, not realizing that he was up against an even more crafty foe who wouldn't just outsmart him but embarrass him. And Lord Longlegs trusted in his own power, not realizing that he was antagonizing forces beyond his control. Next week on the show, it's the story of a night that's too nice. It's just a nice night. The creature this week is the Hinkumemon, a creature of the Coeur people of British Columbia. The Hinkumemon is a lake monster, but it's not a lake monster like Nessie or the Bunyip. It's a lake. That's a monster. We all know that humans need, according to the internet, 15 cups or 3.5 liters of water every day. The Hinkumemon would dispute the medical professionals who say that, and instead say that drinking any water will be hazardous to your health. That's not really medical advice, that's just a threat. You see, the Hinkumemon really doesn't want you to show up at its shore and fill your bucket with it and take it home and consume it. I mean, not only is that actually kind of gross, if your lake is actually alive to go drink from it, but it's rude. And it will let you know how much it disapproves by following you home. That's how it got its name, the Engulfer, because the lake will retaliate against people who drink it by drinking them. If bringing your family water from the lake you notice a bunch of puddles that seem to be pretty high, despite it not having rained recently, or that the well is up to the brim, or that your house is underwater and your family is trying to swim to the surface in an ever-expanding bubble, maybe just dump out the bucket. That's it for this time. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more of the music we used in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.